gentlemen, Greg Bruce. In the gritty, hard-bitten, comedic ghetto that is the Midtown District of Atlanta, Georgia, IA. Across the street from Bulldogs. Atlanta's friendliest bar where Bulldog fans go whether they want to or not. And then have the exciting uh, 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 discovery that it's a gay hoodie bar. They wander in as a redneck and they come back out as a member of a different fraternity. Awesome to be here again in Atlanta. This is my gajillionth time here in Atlanta. I want to thank Marshall Childs, who uh, uh, runs the club here, uh, for putting me up so many times. I always have a good time when I'm here. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, they had a Christmas parade here in Atlanta. None of you went, but I went unintentionally. Uh, they had me at a hotel that's right over Marietta, and uh, I had done a little bit of drinking the night before. When I say a little bit, I mean um, if Oscar Wilde had met Dean Martin... <laughs> at Mickey Rourke's house, and uh, so uh, I'd been up a while and had a couple of zillion drinks, and then I thought, well, I'll just sleep in, you know, and I'll get room service breakfast and whatnot, and at about 7.15, Christmas carols played in a march style, and I don't think you've had fun until you've heard Good King Wenceslas played in a 4-4 time. There's something about adding that martial element to Christmas that really brings the spirit of Christmas home for me. Sure, it's a time of giving and again a time of selflessness. It's also a time of military precision. It's a time when a phalanx should be formed and you should penetrate the other fucking team's defense. Uh... So that, and then a giant Rudolph flew by my window and uh, a, uh, a few other characters that I don't know because I'm too old. And uh, wow, uh, that was quite an awakening. So it, it wasn't exactly the most restful uh, morning. And then, of course, the big game was yesterday uh, uh, to explain to everybody listening out there in the ether and Proopcast land because we have people listening all over the world. I'm sure there's one confused person in Lithuania listening right now at the gym going, why is this funny? It's, I don't like... Uh, Georgia played LSU, uh, Louisiana State University, yesterday in a big SEC conference game. The SEC is distinguished uh, by uh, the fact that none of the schools graduate any of the football players. And um, so I think really the focus is on kickback and date rape, like every school in the NCAA. And uh, sadly, Georgia lost. But of course, they were rated number 12 and LSU was rated number one and rated number one in psychedelic colors as well. Uh, as purple and gold tigers don't really enter my world unless, <laughs> unless I've been up for a couple of days. Uh, there's so many exciting things here in Atlanta. Uh, people are so polite here if you're white. And uh, I've been... Oh, no! I, uh, I've enjoyed going to so many places here. Normally we stay a little closer to a place called The Flying Biscuit, which is one of the most awesome coffee shops. Exactly. Yes, uh, it uh, awesomely reminds me of my hometown of San Francisco because of its, uh, what, how, how shall I put it, its lesbianic capacity. What shall I say? Uh, there is a definite dyke vibe going on there, and I feel right at home. Also, 
I'm not a big grits person until I get here. I would never make grits at home, nor can you order grits in California, really, in any way. Uh, then I get here and I go to the Flying Biscuit and I'm like, I order grits as many times as I can because they're like a pudding made of joy. I, I don't know if there's heroin in them or what it is, but I can't bloody stop eating it. A little bit of pepper on that and, of course, biscuits. And that's why I look the way I do, why my head looks like a fucking statue on Easter Island because... My jowls are stuffed with biscuits as we speak right now. They were puffy and light. They were like a trip to Phobos and Deimos, the twin moons of Mars, uh, just skittering across the heavens. And then, of course, when you slather them with butter and jam, and they, and they don't give you jam in one of those horrible little rectangular packets that you pull the fucking top off of that you don't know how long it's been sitting or how many fucking brownouts it's been through or how many heat waves or... What truck transported across how many state lines? They give you a little dish of jam, as God intended it to be. And uh, God, being a Filipino lesbian, knows exactly how I like my biscuits. Uh, and that is how I like them. Uh, so let's talk about the biggest news here in Georgia IA, aside from, of course, you guys trying to get over the fact that Georgia lost this year and uh, unaware that you indeed will play another football season next year. Mm. Uh, that would be that Herman Cain dropped out of the race. Uh, I know, woo. Kel Surprise and Kel Domage. Uh, Herman Cain, I think, when he joined the race, everybody was like, really? What an interesting wrinkle. Uh, yet another person who doesn't know anything about the geography of the world wants to be president. How exciting. I don't know if you heard his interview last week when he said Uzbeki, Becky, Becky, Stan. Uh, and he took out uh, Obama for his policy on Libya, wherever that is. Um, very few people have been as underqualified as Herman Cain that have thrown their hat in the ring. So it was exciting to have him there, right? He had some kind of plan called 999, which, if you turn it upside down, is, of course, Satan's plan. Um, and then we found out that he has a predilection for strange that he pursues with a hitherto... With a, With a, with a passion unknown since Anthony Weiner earlier in the year. Uh, it's funny how when a, a right-wing Republican uh, chases uh, extraterrestrial or extracurricular scoopus, uh, they're always Christian and they always want to be forgiven, but when anyone else does it, it's a bad thing. Uh, let, me, let me just read a couple of quotes. This is from one of the Sunday morning uh, shows. This was on ABC this morning. George Will is a political commentator, and he's slightly to the right of Attila the Hun. And... Uh, <laughs> He believes places should be laid waste to. And I, I don't think I've agreed with George Will on anything ever, except that he thought Willie Mays was the hardest working ball player of all time. Uh, he's an ascetic fellow with spectacles and, and an Orville Redenbacher bow tie. And um, he's extraordinarily entrenched in the Washington, uh, you know, firmament of uh, bloviating blowhards who, uh, you know, opine freely every week and have nothing to do with those of us who actually do our own laundry. And so, of course, his opinion is taken very seriously. But I wanted to read you something that he said this morning uh, uh, about Mr. Kane, um, who I presume is a Republican and I would have thought would have been on the big boat. Because my, my feeling always is, you know, uh, as a uh, poisoned liberal Democrat or former Democrat before the party went to shit, um, uh, I... Uh, I always feel like the reason why uh, the, the other side, if you will, is never going to win, the, the side that's against war and wants gay marriage and wants medical marijuana, is that we have too many agendas. Uh, you go to a peace march or something and people are there like, I'm here because I like soup. Uh, 
So we never really get together. Whereas the, the other team doesn't seem to give a shit very much. It doesn't matter how many lunatics are on board the fucking vessel. They just power ahead um, without any embarrassment. People like Michelle Bachman, and they're like, yeah, that's who's fucking running. You, you mean the anti-librarian? Uh, everything she says isn't from a book? Everything she says is made up out of some weird swirling miasma that's going on inside of her head where unicorns are jumping over Mexican-Americans and there's gay people being converted, something I've never heard of in my life. I, I don't really think you can show a gay person a picture of Pam Anderson and have them go, oh, fuck, I'm done with this gay stuff. Uh, or any, in any case, George Will said this this morning. Between now and 2016, both parties have to do some serious thought uh, as to whether... I would think that's a little ungrammatical there. Have to do some serious thought uh, as to whether they can develop some filter to prevent this process, particularly with this mad proliferation of debates. And I would agree with Mr. Will on that. There's been too many goddamn debates. How much can we debate about if we're not going to talk about substance ever? If, if the theme of any one of the debates was unemployment or health care or getting this country back on its feet, then I would be all for the debates. But the debates are always about, we're going to bomb Iran! And it's like, no, we're not going to fucking bomb Iran. We, we don't have any bombs left. Uh, and he says, uh, from being hijacked from charlatans, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurial charlatans. Entrepreneurial charlatans. When asked by Christian Amapur, whom he was referring to as an entrepreneurial charlatan, Will said without hesitation, the one that just dropped out, Mr. Kane, who used this as a book tour and fundamentally disrespectful approach to the selection of presidents. Thank you. Uh, I said it last week on the vodcast from Toronto, and that's what I really feel. A lot of people jump in this just so they can sell something off the back of it and get a fucking gig on TV. And it didn't appear to me that Herman Kane was serious about being president anyway. Uh, you have to know what Libya is where it was and what the fuck is going on with it to be president. You can be debriefed. I mean, I know what you're thinking, but Ronald Reagan was president. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, they'd hand him a big color-coded card in the morning that said, important shit, number one. <laughs> Grenada, it's in the Caribbean. You made a movie about it once, remember? Uh... But I do think it's a bit disrespectful that people run who are completely underqualified and have no uh, intention of actually uh, governing the country or serving the public, which is what people who are elected are doing, by the way. I'd like to remind you of that. They are serving at our behest. They are not our overlords who get to tell us what to fucking do all day. You can eject any congressperson, any mayor, any alderman, anyone in any elected position by not fucking voting for them. Uh, so always remember that. Uh, you have very little power in this democracy, but you do have one kind of power, and that's the power to withhold. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, um, the government is scared to fucking death of us. Uh, and when I say us, I mean Americans. Because then whenever we gather and go like, we need rights and shit, they like line up a bunch of police in front of a bank and spray us with shit. Um, <laughs> to let us know that you can have some rights, but not all the rights all the time. Let's not get crazy about the First Amendment. Uh, <laughs> And then a, a young lady named Susan Demise uh, wrote this uh, piece here that I thought was uh, very good um, about Herman Cain. Uh, you have to wonder what they, uh, why they thought no one would ever find out about Herman Cain's uh, um, extracurricular activities. Uh, I believe in separating the man from the office. I've always felt that. I, I have nothing against Herman Cain cheating if everyone's cool, if he was a competent, sound individual. Uh, thank you. Two people laughed at that. <laughs> 
But many Americans don't agree, as these polls can attest. Naturally, and I'm reading someone else here, right-wing self-appointed paragons of moral virtue, like Dan Calabresi, have defended Cain with junior high love poems. Masquerading as... Po- <laughs> As political commentary titled, To Know Cain is to Believe Him. Oh, yeah. Dan Calabrese wrote a poem called, To Know Cain is to Believe Him. Naturally, Calabrese knew Wiener intimately as well. You remember Anthony Wiener, the aptly named Anthony Wiener, who earlier in the year uh, sexted people like mad and then was ejected from office, uh, or at least the fact that he was a Democrat, and was mighty offended by his Twitter etiquette enough to declare... Uh, Anthony Weiner's, quote, decadence is the reason why politicians can run up immoral deficits. Uh huh. So let me get this straight. Anthony Weiner was decadent, but Herman Cain, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. <laughs> My understanding is Herman Cain can't keep his pepperoni out of the box. <laughs> oh, I wish it was a better joke, too. <laughs> Let's get to the fun stuff. Uh, Alan Sue's uh, passed away this week. And if anybody remembers the television show Laugh-In, uh, it was one of the shows when I was a child that made me ever love comedy and just love comedy more than anything. Because for one thing, Laugh-In was all jokes. There was no serious part of Laugh-In. Uh, unlike Saturday Night Live, they didn't even take breaks to have bands on or whatever. I, you know, Saturday Night Live has been, you know, whatever. But they always stop and have a shitty band on with shitty audio and it sucks dick. And then the host comes out and does a horrible sketch that blows. And then they do a sketch and you go like, this should have ended 18 minutes ago. <laughs> Laugh-In went at a breakneck pace. It was just joke, 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 joke. And so boozy and so sleazy and so awesome. And Alan Sues was the flamboyantly gay member of the cast, if you remember uh, the show Laugh-In. Um, he was very campy. He was not out because it was the 60s. Um, he did a character called uh, Big Al. That was the sportscaster. And he had a little bell and he'd come out and he'd go, this is Big Al here with the sports stories. And he'd ring the bell and he'd go, oh my God, I love my tinkle. Oh my God, I love my tinkle. Next to Paul Lynn, no one was this wild on TV. And then he also did a kid show host called Uncle Al the Kitty's Pal, who was perpetually hungover. That was the joke. You couldn't even do it now. It would have to be in cartoon form. He would come out and clearly be fucked up and go like, Uncle Al had a lot of medicine last night. Uh, the cast loved him and said he was the funniest person they ever worked with. And so uh, this one goes out uh, to Alan Sues this week. Uh, it, I, I'm going to read something from uh, uh, one of his spokespeople. He had a ton of gay fans. They all said he was one of the very few gay sort of characters they saw on television at the time. They identified with him and they were thankful. And as he got older, it meant more to them. And he was appreciative of that. Uh, he served in World War II in the Army. Uh, that's how old he was, which blew my mind. Um, and then he had a wife that he did an act with in nightclubs. But you said he was gay. Yeah. Uh, in the old days, everyone was married. Uh, and then uh, he's in a, uh, several pictures and, of course, went on to uh, do uh, Broadway and whatnot. Uh, but Alan Seuss was a, a delightful individual. And Laugh-In was an awesome fucking show. And if you've never seen it, uh, YouTube it or, or go by the disc uh, set. Because Goldie Hawn started on the show Laugh-In, as did Lily Tomlin. Uh, that was the place they started. And... Hmm. It had a, a superb cast of comedians. But as I say, you may not get all the jokes, but they would do News of the Future, and they'd go, uh, News of the Future, Dateline, 1980, Ronald Reagan is president, and the crowd would burst out laughing. Because <laughs> it was 1968, and it didn't seem like Ronald Reagan was ever going to be president. Because he, he was busy having the army come out and shoot students all over California at that time. Uh, <laughs> and... 
Here's one of the comments. I'm gay and 52 years old. Back when I was in elementary school, I loved watching Alan Susan laughing. Paul Lynn does Uncle Arthur on Bewitch. I don't know if anyone remembers Paul Lynn. Do people remember Paul Lynn? Paul Lynn was on the Hollywood Squares forever and ever, and he was the center square, and they go like, uh, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? What did the Pussycat go to London to do under the King's, uh, Queen's chair, Paul? And he'd go, numero uno. <laughs> Unbelievably funny. Uh, so uh, th- if you've been following world events, and I'm sure you have, because uh, you have to take time out from uh, rooting for the Bulldogs. Um, there was a general... I'm going to London, England tomorrow, and I'll be doing a podcast there on Wednesday at the Soho Theatre at 10 o'clock at night. And um, they had a general strike last week in England. I don't know if you know what a general strike is, but it's an awesome movement uh, when people all over the country don't work in protest of what the government's doing against them. Um, we haven't really... I don't know if America's ever had a general strike, uh, although we were way more socialist uh, once upon a time and way more union once upon a time before unions got vilified for having teachers being paid too much. Um, LAUGHTER Protesters on November 30th, two million public sector workers staged a, uh, a nationwide strike to cut, um, to strike over cuts to their public sector pensions. So, in other words, the English government, in an austerity measure, was cutting everyone who worked for the public sector's pensions. Right now, England, by the way, um, had a giant banking scandal like we did, and they bailed out Lloyd's and they bailed out Barclays and they bailed out all those fucking banks. But they want to cut. Teachers and people who work on trains and everyone else's uh, pension funds. Uh, Two million people out of a country with 58 million people is a lot of people. It was the biggest stoppage in 30 years. Now, here's what the Prime Minister of England had to say about that. Much like in this country, when thousands of people march against something, uh, or, or for instance, in Occupy LA this week was cleared out. Um, Occupy LA had been there for several months and was very peaceable. On the day they cleared it out, they had 1,400 police in riot gear come down and sweep the place in the middle of the night and destroy everything and incarcerate everyone. And then they realized after 48 hours of incarcerating everyone, they had no charges against anyone. This was the charge they had against the protesters at Occupy, resisting arrest. Now, if someone roused you out of your fucking tent in the middle of the night and there's a homeless guy's ball sack hanging over you and someone in riot gear is standing over you with a nightstick, you might resist a little bit yourself. Uh, here's what David Cameron, who's the Prime Minister of England, uh, said about the two million people strike. Uh, let's see. He said... So far, uh, the evidence would suggest around 40% of the blah, 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 blah. Um, it went off like a damp squib. A damp squib means like a firecracker that wouldn't light. Uh, really? I wouldn't call a damp squib what happened there. Uh, far from being a damp squib, the Bob Crow leader of the RMT Rail Union said, uh, this was a united action by trade unionists on a scale unseen in a generation. And Cameron and his public school cronies ignore it at their peril. In England, public schools are private schools. Uh, Cameron's snide comments show he and his millionaire Bullington boy colleagues have got more in common with a Martian than they have with those on the front line of our public services. Um, This is the Daily Mirror in the UK, which is a right-wing paper, and they call it an unbelievable act of self-delusion by trying to trivialize the strike. Two million employees walked out. uh, They closed all the schools. Uh, Let's see. 76% of England schools were shut, more than 16,000. Uh, all the schools in Wales were, sh- Wales were shut. One in three town hall staff walked out. Um, 30 unions claimed huge support of up to 90% heeding the strike call, with many walking out for the first time in their lives. 
And the prime minister said it went off like a damp squib. So you can see right now, uh, all over the world, uh, wherever it is, Syria, um, Egypt, the United States, England, the government is quaking in their boots that we finally fucking realize that the money is going only one way, upstairs, and that we're not getting any of the fucking money. And they keep seeing austerity. But let me read you this little part here. We're going to get to comedy soon. <laughs> we really, really are. Uh, the Wall Street in Washington are running a secret government removed from the democratic process. This is from Alternet. Through a Freedom of Information Act request by Bloomberg News. That's right, Bloomberg News. Owned by Michael Bloomberg, the billionaire who owns New York. Uh, who said this week, I have my own army. I have my own State Department. I have my own army in the NYPD, which is the seventh biggest army in the world. That's the kind of thing you want to hear from the mayor, isn't it? <laughs> Not, I'd like to make everyone in New York happy, and I want to welcome everyone to come to New York and have a great time, but I have the seventh biggest army in the world. So don't think about gathering anymore, or I will unleash my fucking army on you. I know. It takes you back to the old times. Uh, now we have concrete evidence, right? Uh, alternate from, from the Bloomberg News, who requested the freedom of information, 29,000 pages of federal documents. I'm not going to go into too many facts because they're boring. But let me just hit you with this. In the middle of knowing that everyone in England struck over austerity measures, that the country of Greece is probably going to default on their loans because of austerity measures, that we're being hit with austerity measures, and we're being told to suck it the fuck up. The Wall Street bailouts totaled $7.77 trillion. Ten times more than the $700 billion troubled asset relief program passed by Congress. Because a bunch of secret people at the Federal Reserve funneled that much money to them. But they paid back the loans. They paid back the loans. They didn't pay back the interest on the loans. They kept all that fucking money. Uh, they gave them an additional $13 billion in profits. And this actually says here, which I didn't know, that's enough money to hire more than 325000 entry-level teachers. So the next time you're watching TV and they go, teachers get too much money and uh, policemen shouldn't strike and blah, 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 blah. Just remember that, that everyone on Wall Street who hasn't faced any charges, think of all the Occupy protesters who've been arrested. Not one person on Wall Street has been arrested. Not even arrested. They got $13 billion in profits. Now, I don't know about you, but I could buy a lot of fucking weed with $13 billion. <laughs> I could have a heck of a good time with $13 billion. Uh, it's going to be funnier, I promise. <laughs> Maybe not. Why should it all be funny? You know, what's funny to me is that they get away with this uh, and they do it right under our noses and no one complains about that. And you know why? Because you're never going to hear this on the news. No news program is ever going to tell you what I just told you. And it's easily available on the net. And there's a reason why I read you that it was a request by Bloomberg News. They are not a left-wing news organization. And they asked for these documents, and that is what is revealed uh, in these documents. Uh, I'd like to quote Woody Guthrie now. Uh, Woody Guthrie, of course, was a great populist and a, a screaming communist and an awesome folk singer who wrote so many songs like This Land is Your Land and whatnot. And um, he wrote a song that goes like this. I'm going to tell you fascists, you may be surprised. The people in this world are getting organized. You're bound to lose. 
You fascists are bound to lose. Race hatred cannot stop us. This one thing we know, your poll tax and Jim Crow and greed has got to go. You're bound to lose. Now, that was written in the 30s when Jim Crow was an issue. But if you don't think Jim Crow is a fucking issue, anyone can be Jim Crowed, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a black person. It may mean you're a mortgage holder who had your mortgage foreclosed on. It may mean you're just a working person who wants to fucking express that you're unhappy that Wall Street made $13 billion um, while the government comes after your ass like a fucking bloodhound. Uh, and so, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about something fun. Uh, Hillary got together with uh, uh, Sue Key from Burma this week. I don't know if anyone saw that news story. Uh, Sue Key has been under house arrest for 20 years. She was the legally elected president of Burma, or Minamar, if you will. Um, but they put her under house arrest because she wanted, oh, I don't know, freedom. And I looked on the BBC website, and there's a picture of Hillary and Sue Key, and they look like the hottest couple in the fucking world. <laughs> They're both the same age. They're both gorgeous. Soon Ki is hot. Let me just say that. She's Burmese with dark hair, and she is fucking screaming. And uh, <laughs> Hillary's hot in a, in a powerful way. You know what I mean? Her calves are unspeakable, as we've talked about before. <laughs> but you'd have to hit her because she's like hitting the queen of the world. You know what I mean? It, it would be like being with Queen Victoria. You're like, just put a, I'll just close my eyes and think, and think of how raw power feels. Uh, so they met uh, this week, and uh, uh, Obama even phoned her, and uh, Miss Clinton called her a, an inspiration to the world. Uh, an interesting fact about Burma, aside from the fact that they've had a military dictatorship for the last 20 years that's kept their legally elected president uh, incarcerated. Oh, that could never happen here. Yeah. Um, Burma is the world's second largest producer of opium. Accounting for 8% of the entire world production and a major source of illegal drugs, including amphetamines. Well done, Burma! <laughs> You know, the perfect time to make amphetamines is when you have a military dictatorship. Look at our country. We're fucking number one in math. It's awesome. And some of our mayors have the seventh biggest army in the world. It is all fucking working out. Let's go to some questions here. Uh, these are questions that people send me. Uh, if you want to uh, send me a question, it's smartestofaspecialthing.com. And, of course, if you want to download the show, go to proofcast.com, uh, and you can download it for free anytime you like. Uh, some of the shows have more jokes than, than others, but I guess I had a stick up my ass this week. Uh, it was just so many things happened. Aside from the giant floating Rudolph that came outside my window when I was hungover, uh, and I smoked a joint, and it didn't go away. <laughs> And then I knew, fuck, I'm not, I'm not hallucinating. There really is a giant Rudolph outside my window. I was also in Athens, Georgia, earlier this week. We did an awesome gig at the Georgia Theater there, which has been rebuilt. And uh, uh, I, I noticed there were some Spartans in the back who were thinking about attacking Athens. And uh, when will this war end? That's what I want to know. When will Peloponnese be one place without Sparta and Athens fighting against one another? How many phalanxes must die at the end of a lance? That's all I ask. Please, Georgia, please, don't make the same mistake ancient Greece did. Uh, here's a question from... I don't read these beforehand. I, uh, I, I simply print them out and have a look on the night. The printing's quite small on this, and I'm quite blind, so good fucking luck, Greg, and good luck, crowd. Here we go. Watch me put this one inch from my nose. How old are you, Greg? About 100. About 100 in, uh, in uh, comedy in years. Uh, Roxy with two X's? Who spells Roxy with two X's? Bits of, what was it? Porn stars. Porn stars. Fucking A, man. 
having never watched pornography, I haven't the slightest notion of what you're talking about. Uh, yes, but I presume they do. Uh, pornography is both de- demeaning to women and fun when you're alone. <laughs> uh, Roxy with two X's, which is super hot, uh, asks, Your Majesty the Proopness. Now, again, you don't have to address me with these highfalutin appellations, but I notice that people do, and of course, my ego's huge, so right on. <laughs> Gregory Everett. Oh, my middle name got in there. That was a mistake. I wasn't going to read that out on the air. Yes, my middle name is Everett, although we're in uh, Georgia, so you may call me Rhett. Because that is indeed Rhett Butler's name. Everett. Rhett is the diminutive of Rhett. Uh, of Everett. And I, I've been to Margaret Mitchell's uh, museum. It's just down the street, the other end of the street here. None of you have been, but I've been because I'm a tourist. You live here, so you never fucking go to the shit that's here. But I've been to Margaret Mitchell's house. And uh, after dying of boredom, I thought it was good. I went to the gift shop and stuff. And all I could think about was how many black people come here and go, this is awesome. One presumes they know something about birthing some babies. Scarlet, it looks like you and I have been at cross purposes. Your Majesty, thy proopiness, Rhett, ruler of the universe. I am ruler of the universe. I'm not, actually. I'm co-ruler of the 15th quadrant. The horsehead nebulae and a couple of other assorted blue stars. And all known things. My name is Rock... See. I'm, I'm 13. Oh, Christ. Roxy, let me say first of all, I'd like to apologize on behalf of myself and the entire Proopcast audience here. Had I read these aforehand, I would have known you were 13 and we might have left off on the whole porn thing for a while. It's never too young to learn that women are objects in this world and <clears throat> that you must stand on your own and that swaggering seed bearers must be put in their place. Uh, Simply because you're oviparous does not mean you are a second-class citizen um, or a coked-up Czechoslovakian prostitute. I'm 13 and I live in Iowa. Oh, no. We've just lost Iowa, Captain. Well, there goes the entire Rust Belt. Jesus Christ. Maybe I should read these beforehand. Some nice girl in Iowa, 13 years old. Her parents probably are really open-minded. Oh, sure, you can listen to Greg Proop's uh, podcast. He's probably... I remember him on Whose Line. He used to sing funny hoedowns with Drew Carey. He never talked about man-steal. I never heard him say Man Branch when he was on Who's Line. Now the whole show seems to be about that. I'm so old, I remember when porn stars had pubic hair. 
As the late, great Jim Samuel said in those days, it just looked like furry pistons. <laughs> well, Roxy, if you're still listening, and if your mother hasn't filed a class action lawsuit, although against whom, I have no idea. I live in Iowa. Who has been the worst president so far? That's the question? Well, I think that's a, a free throw, really. Uh, I, I don't think there's any... Uh, I mean, a lot of people might say Andrew Johnson. Your historians might say James Knox Polk or whatever. Um, a couple of people might say, uh, might, people might say Fillmore or even U.S. Grant. Uh, I think uh, we could find a quorum in this room. I'm just guessing. I may be wrong because this is Georgian. People have diverging views here. Um, I, I, I would say uh, George W. Uh, and here's why. Uh, <laughs> In my estimation, George W. did one positive thing. He funded AIDS all over the world. He really did. He, he, he gave money to AIDS in Africa. After that, it's a complete fucking fall out depth into the deepest abyss of Dante's 18th circle of fucking hell. <laughs> His elections were illegal. Every move he made was illegal. The reason why they're spying on us now and the Patriot Act has been extended and they can check your emails anytime they like, which they fucking can. Now there's a new program where they can listen to all your cell phone conversations. Why we've had to take our shoes off at the airport since 2002. Why there's two wars going that have sent this country into a fucking financial tailspin and divided all of us is George W. Bush and, of course, the real president, Dick W. Cheney. Um, I, I just think he was ineffective. I think he could have done so many more things. Uh, if after 9-11 he'd gone, I'm not going to overreact, we're not going to make a war, we're going to withdraw, regroup, and think about what will make this country stronger. We're going to protect our economy. We're going to isolate the people that are uh, our enemies, and we're going to go find them. Do you realize after fucking 11 years in Afghanistan, a, a position paper came out from Congress this week that said, well, we've accomplished our goals. We got Osama bin Laden. We fought 11 years to get one fucking guy and spent the entire gross national product of this country and had millions of people fucking die that's Bush's doing and I will never ever forgive him for New Orleans um, he can write all the books he likes justifying himself in ten different ways what happened in New Orleans was a black diaspora. A city that goes from half a million people to a quarter of a million people is not a city anymore. That's a diaspora. And that is what I call bondage and servitude. Uh, when you make people move to another city because there's no more room for them in the city because you failed to act, uh, that's not using the federal government. I think we all remember you're doing a heck of a job, Brownie. That glorious moment in fucking America's history. Uh, other than that, he was fine. <laughs> He liked baseball and whatnot. He didn't, parter, he didn't pardon Scooter Libby, so good for him. Uh, that's what I think, Roxy, although uh, you'll find many others contesting for that, uh, uh, that uh, title, Worst President So Far. Uh, hi, Greg. Uh, I was wondering... Hi. Uh, this is from Ben. I was wondering what your thoughts are on the films, TV show, and recent album... Re oh, no, I'm going to skip that one. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, Lloyd says... Uh, greetings, O oh kitten, my captain. Oh, look at them. <laughs> the boy stood on the burning deck. Uh, my first ever date was what one of your gigs back in the 90s. Was it, Lloyd? Uh, what would be your idea of a great first date? Well, obviously one of my gigs. I don't think... <laughs> if you listen closely in the background right now and the audience is mic'd, I think you can hear ovaries clanging like sleigh bells. <laughs> 
If there's one thing I bring to the show, aside from an unbelievable amount of pedantic, opinionated bullshit and shitting on stuff people love, it's undeniable sexual majesty. The men in the crowd look at me and go, I wish I was a nasal, effeminate guy from San Francisco. And the women look at me and think, I wish my boyfriend was a nasal, effeminate guy from San Francisco. I would jump on him like the monkey bars. Uh, a great first date uh, is uh, don't go to a movie because that can divide dates, as you know. Say you go to see uh, uh, wh what's out now. Uh, uh, the, is it the Twilight new mo Twilight movie out or whatever? Okay, so say you go to that. Say you're 11. And <laughs> the problem with movies is you might go with your date and then when you're, it's over, you turn to your date and you go, that was a fucking, I have never laughed so fucking hard. And your date's like this. I didn't think it was funny. And then you know there will be no boom, boom, out go the lights. Uh, that's the problem with movies. Uh, they divide people's opinions. Uh, I would say dinner. And uh, if I was going to be super romantic, I'd say dinner at a very dark place and start with wine. Actually, start with a glass of champagne and don't let her order. Order first. Go, we'll both have a glass of champagne and then order wine with dinner. And then if you're a man... And I know this is going to sound old-fashioned, and I don't mean to disempower women in any way. If you're a man, pick up the fucking check. <laughs> this isn't about male-female dynamics. This isn't about the workplace. You're out on a date with a person that you want to be inside. <laughs> Show her you have got the cojones. Don't go, it's been a rough week at work. and <laughs> I live in an apartment with two roommates and no... <laughs> She knows what your gym socks look like, okay? They're disgusting. Try to dazzle her for one minute. When the check... Don't even let... Say, secretly, say to the wait person, I'll have the check. And then let it come to you. Don't even let her see you fucking pay it. And then open the door for her and shit like that. And then when you get back to the place, go, well, it's been a lovely evening. And if she hesitates at all, just fucking jump on her. <laughs> I would say don't get it going on the first date, but I know lots of people who have had long relationships after that, so I don't know. A lot of people say wait till the third date. It's probably a good idea, especially in this day and age, where you have to wear a hazmat outfit if you enter another human. <laughs> Thank you, Lloyd. Perry asks, Dear Mr. Proops, with, educa with education... Christ, on a cracker. I'm blind as a bat. Uh, here, let's, let's... Thank you, Perry. I'm going to storm off to another question here. Um... Shay asks, uh, and I don't know if Shay's a boy or a girl, or a stadium in New York City. <laughs> or a, a revolutionary from Argentina. Uh, Shay asks, Emperor Proops. Oh, there you are. If you found a magic lamp and Robin Williams popped out to grant you... Really? <laughs> Aren't you confusing my life with the movie Aladdin? If I found a magic lamp and Robin Williams popped out, one, I'd freak the fuck out. Because I know Robin Williams, and he lives in San Francisco, and he rarely pops out of lamps I'm rubbing. And I will rub lamps until the kittens come home. If you see me in a store, I'll always be furiously rubbing a lamp. Hoping against hope that a gin will fly out the end of it. And he, get, and he granted you three wishes. How would you use them? Well, of course, I'd use them the same way everyone else would. I'd, I'd wish for world peace. Uh, I'm joking, of course. 
Uh, that's a very good question. Fuck, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd, first of all, I'd, uh, I'd you know, I'd, the thing I'd wish for is that uh, my wife would live longer than me. And secondly, yeah, no way am I living longer than her. I can't handle it. Um, if, you, if, if my wife passes before I do, you're going to find me in a corner with a heroin, uh, uh, with, a, with a, a giant rig in my eyeball. Uh, I don't want to go on. Uh, let's see. That was too depressing. If I would have three wishes, how would I use them? Uh, I would have the Giants win the uh, World Series more than once every 50 years. I know that doesn't matter to you in Atlanta. Uh, secondly, I would have an everlasting pot tree in my backyard. <laughs> That I just walked out and back and pulled buds off and the buds just fell off the tree and then rolled themselves into joints in front of me. I think that's three. Because the pot one had two parts. Thank you, Shay. How much time we got, Jamie? Uh, 40 minutes. Oh, we're at 40? Okay. Uh, Taylor asks... Uh, no, no. Let's skip that one. That one blows. Let's go to another one. I know. No, sometimes you have to make a call. After the 13-year-old porn Iowa girl, I'm a little more retros- uh, a little more introspective, or retrospective, if you will. I'm going to retros. Uh, let's see, Lee. Lee. Here's a here's an appropriate name for a, a, a podcast from the South. Lee asks, uh, "Dear Mr. Proops, yes, General. If you could enter the word proop into the dictionary as a verb." What an unfortunate dictionary that would be. <laughs> Kittens. If you, would, if you could enter the word proof into the dictionary as a verb, what definition would you bestow upon it? Uh, oh, well, the diminishment of uh, one or a group with snide comments, I think, would be a proof. Um, and the second definition, you know how there's one and then two, second definition? An inordinate love of Satchel Page. Thank you, Lee. Uh, Colin asks... Oh, not, not Colin. No, I asked him for one Dear Proopmeister Greg, uh, you've made clear your love of funk, but what of hip-hop? Um, I adore hip-hop. Uh, hip-hop is funk's uh, small child. Uh, I, I, I have to admit, I don't listen to current hip-hop as much as I might. I'm a little old-fashioned. I really like the Beastie Boys and, uh, you know, the Naz and all the old-school uh, KRS-One and... Uh, um, Africa Bombada, uh, uh, Curtis Blow, uh, Slick Rick. I mean, I'll take you back to the day. I, I think at the, at the dawn of hip-hop, when people had to literally go out and, and like, rip open a, an electrical outlet and plug in their shit and do that freestyle there with a boombox was uh, an amazing moment in American musical history, uh, much like the moment when rock and roll was invented or, or uh, jazz, uh, when Louis Armstrong fucking came out of New Orleans. Uh, there's a few pivotal moments in musical history when Hank Williams was born, um, and some of those moments are like uh, the original hip-hop movement uh, in New York City and, and places elsewhere. And also the fantastic uh, symbiosis of that uh, uh, there was a, a techno movement in like Detroit that the people in Germany took upon uh, and themselves and took on board and used the Detroit techno movement, which never really made it uh, commercially here, and then came back with a whole other feeling. Uh, I, I, th- I just think hip-hop leads to a uh, house. Hip-hop leads to uh, uh, jungle and stomp and er- er- every kind of uh, um, music that people have danced on 
uh, and two to uh, mad drugs in the last 20 years. I really, hip hop is, is an extraordinarily important movement. And I, I tend to favor the groups that had a little more social consciousness, like Public Enemy and whatnot. Um, uh, what do they say? Burn Hollywood, burn us, smell a rat. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love people who rap about, you know, uh, um, getting with bitches and wearing bling and shit like that. But I, I do think uh, in the original intent, uh, it was a little more political and a little more seditious. And I, I, I kind of enjoy that part of it more. It's more titillating to me. Uh, of course I want to get with bitches and wear bling. Uh, I'm wearing cufflinks here tonight, sadly. Sadly, they're not like Belle Biv DeVoe cufflinks. They're not... Uh, I think you'll find they were New Jack Swing, Greg. Uh, New Jack Swing wasn't that bad. What was that group, Tony Tony? It feels good. They were all right. It was funky. Anything with funk in it is all right with me. Uh, I mean, I've talked about the Ohio players to almost the exclusion of everything else. And, uh, but there are so many. Uh, George Duke. And the, uh, here's your homework assignment, uh, Proof Kittens. Uh, go on YouTube and look up Dookie Stick by George Duke and light up a reefer and drink some yak and you will you will feel everything the late 70s were about Sheila E is in the video and she's 11 years old and you go Sheila E how the fuck did she get in that video she was a teenager in George Duke's band and at the middle bridge they go uh, uh, let me tell you something about E she got dropped off where at the bridge and then they go back into the bridge and it is fucking Funktastic. There's also a Plexi Mini Moog solo that'll make your mind explode and re-implode and then fucking demand that funk be played every moment of the day. Uh, so thank you, Colin, for that. Uh, let's see. Okay. I'm going to go with another question from a week before. Oh, what's this? Oh, we had corrections from last week. Before we get to the house here, because I want to talk to you guys. Um, uh, I was talking about French gangster films last week, and uh, Henri-Georges Clouseau, who made uh, Diabolique and uh, uh, Wages of Fear, which are uh, superb pictures. Now, you know, I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was doing a radio show uh, with Sarah and Vinny on the Alice program, and they're lovely people. I've known them for years. And she goes, you know, you recommended one of the movies on your proofcast. And I, I watched it, and I was like, which one? And she went, Strangers on a Train by Hitchcock. And I go, did you like it? And she went, no, it was fucking boring. So now I'm all hesitant to give recommendations for movies because it was in black and white. And I thought, fuck, I thought it was a compelling movie that had me on the edge of my seat. But apparently I'm 94 years old. <laughs> and I'm looking through a Nickelodeon, turning a crank like this, watching a guy walk across the room or a train come into a station or someone look at a hose and then the hose squirts water in their face. Apparently, I'm apparently at the dawn of film in my tastes. I'm with the Melees brothers here, or the, or the Lumiere brothers. Uh, Melees weren't brothers. Don't fucking write me. Everyone writes me. <laughs> Everyone writes me, believe me. If I make a mistake, everyone writes me. Uh, Henri-Georges Cousteau's wife was named Vera Gibson. Uh, Amanda, I couldn't think of her name last week. And she's in Diabolique and Wages of Fear in another picture. And Alubion, I think. And uh, she's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. And she died of cancer. Uh, uh, if you get a chance to see... Uh, Wages of Fear is hard going, as I said. But Diabolique, you will fucking freak the fuck out. Uh, and then I mentioned another picture called Touche Pas au Grisby, which means hands off the fucking cash. Touche pas uh, in, in French gangster slang. Um, and that's directed by Jacques Becker, who wrote, a, who wrote and uh, made another picture called Le True, which is a prison break movie. But it's not just any old fucking prison break movie. Using non-actors, they recreate an actual prison break that happened in France. And it is the most claustrophobic fucking great movie where they're tapping on the walls and, and you know putting the whole cabal together to fucking dig the tunnel out and shit. 
you'll, I don't know. Again, I'm hesitant after strangers on a train. I just don't want to recommend you movies that I know you've fucking seen. If I say, you should see Revenge of the Jedi, you're going to go, fucking anyone could tell us that. I could listen to Kevin Smith's podcast and hear that fucking recommendation. <laughs> Trying to give you a hit movie. Le True, L-T-R-O, yeah. Oh, uh, and also Le Samurai by, uh, as I said before uh, last week, um, uh, Melville, Jean-Pierre Melville. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you'll like it. I, I think the thing about subtitles is people, some people really hate subtitles. I never mind them. Um, I think because you hear the, the native language they're speaking, I resent dubbing much, much more because dubbing's always annoying to me because people go, well, hey, why don't we go to the thing? And you're like, that's not how they were talking. Uh, so when, you, when I go to Europe and stuff and you watch a movie on, in Italy, always dubbed because Italians are that way. They're shallow like us. You go to France and it's always V-O, right? And V-O in French means original, original voicing. So they'll show an American movie in English and then dub it uh, or title it in French. So you get to see it in English and you see the titles. And sometimes you see the titles are completely wrong. Like they'll go, fuck, in a movie. And on the title it'll say, Merd. <laughs> and you're like, Merd means shit. That does not mean fuck. <laughs> That's how smart I am. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? Would anyone like to engage me? Let's uh, get it on, a crowd here. Who's uh, Marshall? Who's taking it out? Caitlin or Marshall? Oh, it's Caitlin. How are you, sweetheart? Good, thank you. I'm groovy. Who's got a question? Oh, right up in front. I'll send you the back later. <laughs> yes, sir. Hello. Thanks for being here. Hello. You're welcome for me being here. What's your name, sir? My name is Tim. Hello, Tim. Um, uh, you've mentioned before that your your Wikipedia page was... Erroneous, and I was curious about your voiceover work because there is some listed on there. Is there a question at the end of this? <laughs> what of your voiceover work? Um, I, I see it, you were listed as as Bob the Builder. Yeah, I used to do Bob the Builder. Uh, the the company that owned it got sold, and I think there's another Bob the Builder now. But if you watch the PBS one, it's often me because there's zillions of old episodes. I was uh, the Bob the Builder through the whole Project Build It uh, series. And if you want me to hear the, if you want to hear the voice of me doing the Bob the Builder, you're hearing it right now. <laughs> I went in for the audition, and I was doing all these funny voices, and and it was in London, and a woman came over the mic and went, "Um, Greg, would you mind just doing your own voice?" And I was like, are you insinuating that I have a funny cartoon voice? <laughs> so this is a line that I would do as Bob the Builder for you. Well done, Tim. You reduced, you reusing, you recycled. Thank you. Now, I know there's a lot of 13-year-olds in Iowa listening, but I wonder if there's any two-year-olds listening out there. Because two-year-olds fucking love Bob the Builder. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Sally into the crowd there, Katie. Or Katie into the crowd there, Sally. <laughs> Go in the back. Let's find someone in the back. Anybody? There we are. There's someone in the middle there. In your time. It's a fucking seven-hour radio show. Hi, how are you? Hi. Where uh, are you? Back. I can't see you. In the corner by the bar. Oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> What's your name? My name's Alex. Hi, Al. Um, you talked about being in Atlanta and how much you liked it. Is there anywhere else in the South you particularly enjoy? Well, I often go to uh, North Carolina to Raleigh. Uh, I think Raleigh, Durham Woo! is nice. Uh, 
My fa- my family on one side is all from Mississippi. Um, <laughs> enough said about that. And uh, <laughs> I go to Texas. Do we consider that the South? Not no, really. I didn't think so. <laughs> Southern people don't consider Texas the South at all, whereas everyone else in the country does. Uh, Texas is its own special republic of weirdness. Very, very strange. Um, I think uh, New Orleans is an extraordinary place. Um, uh, I, I, I'm often in Florida. Do we consider Florida part of the South? No. no. It's funny what you guys consider Southern and what you don't consider Southern, ain't it? I've been to Birmingham, Eng- England. Does that count? Uh, I think people are awfully polite here in the South. And um, I think the thing that I uh, enjoy most about the South, and people always say this to me uh, in California, I'll go, I was in Atlanta or whatever, I was in whatever city in the South, and they'll go, do they get your jokes there? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but you, you lay it down and you say all this shit and whatnot. I'm like, um, Southern people have heard it before. The one thing that I like about here is that you, you understand what has happened here. And therefore, you're down with it. <clears throat> it's in the North where they don't understand what happened here. The presumption is that everyone is a shit-kicking hillbilly with picket fence teeth. And it's not true. Obviously, we're in Atlanta, which is the gayest city in all the world. And... <laughs> extraordinarily cosmopolitan and I find a lot of cities in the south that way I mean when you go to Raleigh Durham it's called the PhD triangle people are well educated in the south and the amount of authors and philosophers that have come from the south would you would think immediately negate the presumption that everyone here is ignorant on the other hand (laughs) your obsession with college sports is what makes you seem like those kind of people And NASCAR doesn't help. It really doesn't help. It really doesn't help. I know. I know you didn't, you know, it's not just to Georgia, but you guys did invent it down here. And, uh, and, and the rest of the country's like, really? NASCAR? So what, they just go around in a circle and shit? Uh, but no, I, I, I really do enjoy it here. Also, people are polite. And um, there's a few things that you guys embrace here that we no longer embrace in California that I appreciate. And that's deep fried food on a daily basis. <laughs> And oblivion weeknight drinking. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Uh, let's have another one. Who, Katie, where are you? Katie, you're not moving from that one fucking area. <laughs> God damn it, Jamie. What, what's your question? Hey, um, all, all men? I, are there no I, frails with questions in the crowd? <laughs> Anyway, oh, one over there. We'll take yours. What's your name, sir? My name's Rob, and Hi, uh, Rob. I want to start by apologizing for derailing your whole podcast with the porn star. Uh, oh, thing. you <laughs> didn't derail it, dude. This podcast gets derailed on my own volition. I I can derail it faster with twenty minutes on politics than any podcaster in America. Well, well, speak- go on any comments page and find out what a pious windbag I am. <laughs> Well, since we're on the topic of politics, I wondered uh, what you thought about my hypothesis that um, if you put gay marriage and uh, legalizing pot on the same ballot in California, that you'd get both passed in the same day. That's a very interesting tactic. As you know, out-of-state people came in and helped defeat that gay marriage initiative uh, in California Proposition 8. and uh, as I've so often pointed out on the show, Obama is going after the medical marijuana dispensaries in California for no 
fucking good reason that I can see except fat white fucking corporate people who work for Citigroup aren't making any money off marijuana uh, until they figure out a way to do it they're not going to let us have it uh, it seems like a complete waste of money from the federal government to even prosecute the smallest medical marijuana dispensary uh, I think your uh, theory is right and I'm going to suggest it <clears throat> when I get back home to California and I go to the state house as I so often address the assembly <laughs> when I'm burning a fat one with Jerry Brown I'm going to say, see those, see those gay guys over there? If they had some weed on them, it would be awesome. <laughs> Find me a woman there, Katie. In a figurative sense. There we go. Hi. Hi. What's um, your name? Uh, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Um, I love uh, your book in the Bible, by the way. Thank you. She was his favorite. She um, was. So I was born in 87, so I kind of missed the whole Reagan administration. Um, Lucky you. Oh, I know. Well, that's what everyone tells me, but is there, could you in, enlighten me on that without it boring me to tears? About Please? what? What the Reagan administration was like, what he, all, everything he did wrong. And oh, for like Christ's sakes. I've been, I've been like, you, you mention him in different podcasts. And I'm like, maybe this time he's going to like elaborate and you never you, do. You, you have access to the internet, do you? Not? I do. But like I said, you're interesting and the internet is boring. Uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. I, well, since you flatter me. <laughs> thank you. Your fruitfulness. What a well-informed question. Thank you for asking, Rachel. Uh, uh, here's the deal. Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, was an actor. And then he became governor of California, where he closed all the mental hospitals. And as I say, uh, basically waged a war against the students of California during the Civil War of the 60s. Uh, then when he finally got to be president, and he tried several times, he ran against uh, um, uh, Gerald Ford when Gerald Ford got the nomination. Uh, and, and then when Ford lost to Carter in 76, uh, Reagan rose up again, right? And at that point, when uh, Carter uh, had had such a terrible time and the, and the Congress defied him and, and he had, you know, Jody Powell and Ham Jordan, and it just didn't go well for Carter. Uh, I think his heart was in the right place, but I also think he walked in thinking, I'm going to change things. And Washington, by its very nature, goes, no, you are fucking not going to change things. I get money and blowjobs, and nothing is going to disturb that. <laughs> If you think that's not true, that's what's going on all the fucking time. So in any case, uh, uh, Reagan, I think, had something to do with jigging the election in 1980 because the, the hostages in Iran weren't uh, released uh, until he became president, so it looked like it happened on his watch. The first couple of years of Reagan's administrations were an unmitigated disaster, and don't let anyone tell you different. Uh, the economy was in a terrible downslide, and he wasn't very popular. Then came the midterm election, and things sort of swung up a little bit again. The second term was an unbelievable fucking Alzheimer's miasma. It was just... Let me put it this way. More people were indicted or left under a cloud in Reagan's administration than any administration in our lifetime. Uh, I mean, I know it's not funny, but that's what happened. I'm talking about every head of every federal agency, every underhead of every federal agency. Uh, they, they were unbelievably corrupt. He, it was like the Harding administration. He opened up the doors to cronies and they just came in and pilfered the fucking place dry. Uh, then... When uh, Iran-Contra happened, which was a, a highly illegal maneuver whereby uh, they were supplying guns and, uh, uh, and, and, and funneling drugs and using the gr drug money to buy guns for, to support uh, illegal right-wing revolutions in Central America, um, and, and, and nuns got killed and, and whole countries, El Salvador and, and Nicaragua were you know, decimated, uh, 
he lied and said he didn't know anything about it. And he, and at that point, I actually believed him because I don't think he was Compass Menace the last few years of his, uh, uh, the last two years of his second term. I don't think he was Compass Menace at all. And as we found out later, Nancy was consulting an astrologer the whole time and then informing him how he should make decisions. He would get up in the morning, go to the meeting at the Oval Office, and they would give him a 10-point uh, piece of paper that had 10 position points on it, and those were what he was going to deal with that day. In other words, he never sat down and studied and read volumes of books. On the other hand, Reagan had a tremendous sense of humor <laughs> and would say things like, hard work never killed anyone, but why try to find out? <laughs> and the other thing he said was, uh, when he was running for the nomination was, I, I, they asked him about being old, because he was quite old when he first was elected, I think 72, was it the first time around? Uh, and they said, what about age? And he said, I won't hold my opponent's youth and inexperience against him. <laughs> uh, he also confronted Gorbachev in the Rose Garden and said, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to fucking nuke you. <laughs> so in one way, he swung a big dick. <laughs> and for that, I enjoyed him. Uh, I felt like when 9-11 happened and Bush flew around on a plane all day and then gave that weird furtive TV address from the fucking comfort and safety of some fucking studio with a flag behind him, Reagan would have stood on the front steps of the White House and put his hand on his heart and said the Pledge of Allegiance and we all would have cried. That's the difference between Reagan and George W. Bush, in my opinion. Reagan, heedless or not, was a great actor in that regard as president and also was genuinely fucking forthright and would show up at G7, that's right, it's the G20 now, in those days that's how many countries were in it, at G7 meetings with no coat on and a suit while everyone else had fur hats on and just fucking stride out there and go, I'm not cold. <laughs> that's the kind of giant dick Reagan fucking swung around the world. I don't know if that helps you at all. Uh, you need to go back and read more. I mean, everyone says he was avuncular and personable. He was avuncular and personable. He refused to believe AIDS existed. And that was the beginning of the AIDS crisis during his two terms. And he could have done everything to help, and he did fuck nothing. And so there's good and bad in everyone, as Michael Jackson once said. That was a long, drawn-out, not-that-funny answer. What can I tell you? Uh, and then he gave us George Herbert Walker Bush. And then George Herbert Walker Bush gave us George W. Bush. And then we had to hear that there was a Clinton dynasty, even though someone named Bush has been in the White House for the last gajillion years out of the last gajillion years. If you want dynasties, it would be the Bush dynasty. And by the way, Herbert Walker and him didn't love each other very much at all. They were not fond of one another. Nancy thought Herbert Walker was a dickhead. <laughs> Which is why when Cheney came to Ronald Reagan's funeral, she fucking fronted him. If you watched Reagan's funeral, uh, Cheney came up to her at the funeral and Nancy went, uh-uh, chip, 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 talk to the hand. <laughs> they went the same kind of Republicans. That was a different kind of Republican in those days. He pretended to like Jesus and God and all that shit, but he fucking didn't care. <laughs> Seriously, the, the candidates now say, God told me to run. Reagan never said God told him to run. He'd just go, I once read a Bible and ooh, you know. <laughs> Let's have another question. Thank you for that. How much time we got, Jamie? Uh, you're at one hour. Oh, kittens. All right. One, a couple more, and then we'll uh, blow you, off into the night. You talk about Satchel Paige. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are we? I can't see. Who are we? Hello. Hello. Hi, what's your name? Dave. Hi, Dave. 
you talk about Satchel Paige quite quite a bit. But, yes, I um, do. Could you explicate on your opinions of Mr. Buck O'Neill? Mm. Buck O'Neill. Yeah, he's immortal. Buck O'Neill uh, should have gone in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I'm... Uh, he didn't go in. They, they did a revote a few years ago on the Veterans Committee. Everyone who doesn't like baseball, take five. Order a pizza. <laughs> Everyone else, pull up a dick. We're going to talk Negro Leagues for a second here. <laughs> Buck O'Neill uh, was uh, an extraordinary figure in baseball. Uh, a sharecropper who uh, drove a plow. Uh, a black man from the South uh, who grew up in abject poverty. He could play baseball quite well. A very good fielder. A slick hitting. No power. A high average. Uh, he played for many teams, the Monarchs uh, chiefly, and then was the first black coach in the major leagues, right? Like Jackie Robinson was the first black player. Frank Robinson was the first black manager. Buck O'Neill was a coach on the Chicago Cubs and scouted Ernie Banks, scouted lots of important players, right? He's a very vital figure in baseball history. Then, later on, of course, when he was on Ken Burns' documentary, Baseball, everybody got to see him and what a wonderful, beautiful man he was. And he really had a lot of joy and he lived to be like... 94 years old, so he could talk about the Negro Leagues quite eloquently. He played on the Monarchs with Page and um, would talk about Page all the time, about how Page would say they go down to the slave market in South Carolina and Page would go, I've been here before, Bo, right? Like, he said there was another side of Page, because Page was kind of clowny, right, in public, but Page knew what was what. Uh, Now, Buck O'Neill, uh, a few years ago, the Veterans Committee voted in a bunch of important Negro League figures, and they left O'Neill out because he doesn't have the baseball numbers, right? He never hit 35 homers like, or 40 homers like Josh Gibson. He didn't win a bunch of games like Satchel Paige. Uh, he wasn't like Neil Suttles or, or, or Oscar Charleston or any of the great players you can think of from the Negro Leagues. He was a good fielder, and he hit quite well. They might have won a couple pennants with him on the team. Um, but it was what he did for baseball. He was an ambassador of baseball. Uh, people who didn't know what the Negro Leagues were, little kids, uh, women, and everywhere he went, he was full of joy all the time. He was absolutely the most exemplary human being. People would say to him, are you sorry that you didn't play when you could play with the white major leaguers? And he'd say, I was right on time. My life was lived the way it ought to have been lived. He didn't, je ne regret rien, right, as Edith Piaf said. And for that, I think he's an unbelievably valuable human being because he's one of those people that's irreplaceable because he was full of fucking joy all the time and optimism. And uh, he spoke baseball in the world of baseball. And baseball isn't just about a bunch of white guys fucking sitting in a room looking at statistic sheets, which I know a lot of you think it is. Uh, It is for me and my friends. But the point is this. (laughs) It is quite a fun game. It's just a fun game to play or be in or do or whatever, and everybody likes it. And uh, that's what I think about Buck O'Neill. I think he was cheated. Uh, and I know that uh, president of Sabre, the former president, there's a new president now, uh, the Society for American Baseball Research, this won't surprise you at all. Uh, and his name is John Zack, and he lives in Cleveland. He's a lovely man. And when Buck O'Neill didn't get in the Hall of Fame, he actually went in and said Buck O'Neill shouldn't have gone in because the statistics weren't enough, and he went on Keith Oberman's show. And Oberman ripped him a new asshole, right? <laughs> And I had lunch with John afterward, and I said, you fucking killed Buck O'Neill, man. Because Buck O'Neill died right after it. I was like, (laughs) I said, you fucking killed him with that shitty interview you did with Oberman, man. Why didn't you venerate the dude? All I would have meant, you know. uh, So anyways, uh, I I think Buck O'Neill is a glorious human being. He wrote a really great book called uh, I Was Right on Time. And if you ever want to read that, there's also another one. the Country of Baseball, I think it's called. Uh, a Jewish white writer, his name escapes me, wrote it. I read it last year, and I cried. I mean, I'm sentimental about some shit. I fucking cried through the whole thing. Uh, he goes around the country with Buck O'Neill, and he's in his 90s. And sometimes I'd be at a place, and he'd just fall asleep. And, shit. and then, like, he'd go, go get me an ice cream and whatnot. And then, like, he'd get up and dance if they were playing music. Like, he, his time with Buck O'Neill, you could tell this guy was never going to be the same again because he was around someone who wasn't 
bitter at all about all the hard shit he'd been dealt in his fucking life. That was a long, long answer. But Buck O'Neill's worth it. Uh, uh, that's what I think about Buck O'Neill. And I think there's a million people like Buck O'Neill that get ignored every day, men and women all over the country that are full of joy, that are bringing uh, awesome, uplifting fucking... You know, to make a, a swing with the angels and realize we're all in this together and not dwell on uh, all the shit that, uh, you know, divides us, uh, like people who like Reagan. <laughs> Just barely got out of that one. <laughs> Any other questions? We'll take one more. How about another lady? Hi, Greg. Oh, there you are. Hi. Hi, what's your name? Jess. Jeff? Jess. Like as in Jessica? Oh, Jessica. Hi, yes. Jessica. Hi. Um, I was just wondering if you got the privilege to pick the next president, be it a... Oh, God damn. No, I was going to say, be it a... Really? This is the last question? I was hoping for something shallow and fun, like... <laughs> I was just... If be- you had to pick a member of Menudo... <laughs> Lady Gaga or Beyonce? Which way do you go, Greg? Oh, fucking more politics. No, I was going to say real or fictional. Jesus Christ, this has turned into Dr. fucking Zhivago here tonight. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was hoping for levity here in Atlanta. (laughs) Shit. What? I'm sorry. (laughs) What did she say? (laughs) Awesome. What happened to Wayne Brady? What, did you, what was it like to work with him? Well, as you know, I've been against Negroes being on TV since the very beginning. He's a very gentle lover, I'll tell you that much. When he's on top of you, you know who's on top of you. He's enormously talented. I adore Wayne. What, what was your question? I'll, I'll entertain it. Go, go on, Jess. Wayne can rhyme like nobody's business. I just did a show with him two weeks ago in London. We're, we made a show for ABC, another improv show. It'll come out next year. And it's Wayne and Colin, and I did a couple episodes. And, uh, and Wayne was awesome. What can I tell you? He's, he has a sense of humor. I think if you saw the Chappelle show, you will know. Wayne, Wayne knows all about Wayne. And he's a divine individual. What was your question, Jess? I'm sorry. If you could have any president, who would it be, real or fiction? That one I didn't understand. If you could have any president, who would it be, real or fiction? If I could have any president. A real or fictional president? Anybody whoa, whoa, what happened to your voice? <laughs> All of a sudden, you're stentorian and baritone. A moment ago, you had a diffident female voice. Now you're like this. You mean like a fictional president like Morgan Freeman from the movie Armageddon or whatever? <laughs> Yes. Oh, you do mean like that? Oh, you mean like Michael Douglas or whatever? Or when in his movie, The American President or whatever? Uh, a real or fictional president? I, I think the president... You guys are going to... It's a great way to end a show. Uh, it's almost irrelevant. I mean, look at the last two presidents. Do you really think they were calling the fucking shots? Do you think Obama's calling the fucking shots? No. Do you think Bush was... Someone went, who? Do you think... <laughs> 
The guy is there now. Do you think W was calling the shots? He wasn't. It, it, it's a ceremonial position. It, it can be a bully pulpit. We've had enormously powerful presidents. Uh, I think you'll find Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson. They were extraordinarily powerful presidents. They wielded a giant stick, and people jumped in line when they fucking told them to. Nixon was a powerful president uh, until it all went to shit. Um, uh, would I pick a fictional one? No. In my ideal president... And uh, again, we're in Georgia. Everybody take a deep breath. My ideal president would be a woman. I was. Why? Because we haven't had one. Every other bloody country has had one. Uh, uh, Ireland, England, New Zealand, Australia uh, has uh, Julia Howard. I mean, uh, Pakistan has had one. Germany has a. I mean,. What the fuck is our problem? Do we really think a woman can't fucking run the dance? Are we really that short-dicked and fucking impotent that we just can't bear the thought of a woman running? And by the way, the women who've been presidents all around the world and prime ministers were not shrinking violets. Uh, I don't think anyone would say Indira Gandhi was not someone to be fucked with at any point. Uh... Uh, I, I would, that would be my ideal president. I, I think we've had too many men in a row, and I think we need new ideas, and I think we need a little bit of estrogen in the mix. The difference between men and women is women are pragmatic and practical. Men are, are, are focused on one thing all the time. I'm going to finish the task at hand. When you're, having, when you're talking with your significant other, and you go, I had a problem today, and this person was an asshole to me, they go, well, this is how you should solve it. And you think, that's not what I want to hear from you. I want you to listen to me. Right? That's what women want. Women don't want men to come in and go, well, I'll fix this. And that's what men do. And I think um, a little of that energy might not hurt the fucking world uh, too goddamn much. And it might not hurt our country too much. Now, there are many kinds of women, obviously. Sarah Palin was a woman who ran last time. And despite her venality and absolute lack of integrity as a politician, because if she'd had integrity, she would have stayed governor of Alaska and finished her term. I take the gravest possible umbrage that everyone called her a bitch and shit the minute she got the nomination. And that my team, my liberal, open-minded thinking team, piled on her for being a woman because she was attractive. There is nothing more threatening in this country than a good-looking, middle-aged woman. Men cannot fucking handle women's sexuality after a certain age. And the fact is, women are sexy at all ages. Um, I'm hotted up completely... Did someone just go, and eh, out there? Yeah. Uh, this is Georgia, so I know what's going to come after this. Uh, they ain't nothing uglier than an old white woman. Um, I, I happen to love the movie stars from the 60s, who are some of them uh, not in the greatest of shape, not though. Uh, I, I think they're absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Um, and I, I, I just really feel like uh, men have to get over that and that that's the next barrier and that that's what happens in the next generation. I feel like the promising part of the world is that young people in their teens and their 20s don't give a fuck whether people are gay or not. And they don't give a fuck whether women run things or not. And I'm hoping in the next 30 years that's how everything's going to pan out. That we end up in that beautiful world where we actually all are not the same but equal in a playing field sense. You know what I mean? I don't want to be the same as women. And I don't want women to be the same as me. I enjoy having a fucking dick, okay? <laughs> and women enjoy it that I have a dick. <laughs>
But I want us to all be arm in arm rather than fucking fighting against each other and shit. When you look at the inequity in the world, it really is like John Lennon said. And I'm going to use, well, I won't use it. But you know what I mean? Well, you know what he said. In any case, yeah. Women are underpaid, and in many parts of the world, like Saudi Arabia, Syria, Egypt, this fight for their whole new revolution and their new government is so important to women, right? Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever you can think of, because the Muslim world is way behind us. As backward as we are, they're in the fucking Middle Ages, and they need to move their shit forward in a big fucking hurry, and it's happening. And uh, So that's my fervent wish. I won't live forever, and I probably won't live to see it, but I do think in the next 30 years, things are going to change. And that, uh, I mean, for instance... I perform for the troops uh, overseas, and you see a, a, a lady officer get up who's a captain or a major, and she goes, all right, everybody, attention, right? In a little female voice, and everybody, <laughs> and that's what fucking equality is, when men will take orders from women because they're fucking supposed to, and that's how things are. Uh, that's been my show. This has been the smartest man in the world, Proofcast. I want to thank you very much, Atlanta, for coming out. We'll be in London next week on Wednesday. You are beloved to me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the show. My name's been Greg Proofs. Peace. Woo!